Um, yeah, it's my pleasure to introduce Pastor Mark to you as he comes up and share the word. Give him a hand as he comes. Hey guys, how are you going? Good to see Steve Campbell here. Um, I'm a sneaky, um, our, our grandson calls himself, Elliot calls himself occasionally sneaky bugger. So I can be a sneaky bugger on the internet. And so um, I, was, I play word with friends. Who plays words with friends? Yeah, okay, well, my handle is Mark Yowie. So if ever you want to be beaten soundly, just look me up, <laughs> challenge me to a game. And so anyway, so I, I saw this guy called Steve C on the internet and sure enough, it's Steve Campbell. And so by stealth, I started playing anonymously a few games with him. And I thought, if I do well in these first few games, I'll disclose who I am. If I lose, <laughs> I'll just quietly skulk off into the ether. And so what are we, Steve? Nine and zip at the moment, my way, sorry. <laughs> however, however, there is, Steve did a 90-point word the other day. What was the word? Okay, well, I can't remember. See, he has to resort to that level of non-Christian conduct to beat me. So, however, he's going to flog me at that game. So, so, so there you are. So, now... So, it's going to be 9-1 shortly. Um, so, so, anyway, so, so there you go. So, um, that's, I've got the microphone. I can boast in the Lord. Um, so, so, it's not quite right, okay, isn't that what Paul meant? So, so anyway, so if you, want, if you would like a game, and a friendly game, w without competition, just let's, let's have friends and be, um, you won't get that from me, you'll get a competition and you're going to have to fight really hard to beat me. Yep, so okay, so that's, so, so you can look, look me up and see how we go. Great to see Luke and Rowie here and the girls, great to have you guys here, these guys are legends, just led with us in the Sydney church for five or six years, Great couple, so good to have you guys here this morning as well. Good to see Robert and family here and others, so lots of familiar faces here, which is really cool this morning. So, I love the songs, Rosie, I presume, did you choose some Rosie? Or did, okay, so who liked those songs this morning? Just lifting up Jesus and who he is and declaring God's purpose for the church. And um, I love that line, one of those songs, that I believe in your holy church. I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about that this morning, about what, what it is for a church to be holy. Now, I know as soon as you say that, you sort of think piousness or whatever else, some sort of weird sort of spirituality, but, but ultimately when we're talking about a holy church, we're not just talking about what God does in you and I as individuals, we're talking about what God does in us together. So tonight, I'm looking forward to what Josh has got to say about next things for the kids in the building, and I know there's real faith in Josh for that, that's going to be great. I'm going to maybe have a discussion, a bit of Q&A around how we actually grow as individuals. So it's not mysterious. So you can, you can look at a kid and they, they don't magically grow. Apparently you have to feed them. And there's, there's some other things like rest that you actually have to do so they grow. And I, I think sometimes we can think that you and I grow in our faith mysteriously. We don't. There, there are things that we can do that will mean we grow... And there are things that we can do that mean we don't grow. And so we're going to unpack that a bit tonight, do some Q&A, and let's see some growth for us as individuals. This morning's about us together. And so when we're singing about the Holy Church, we're actually talking about a church that is whole, complete, full, pure, and powerful. And in that context, I just want to declare over all those that are 
struggling, whether it's Trudy, whether it's Rowena's hubby, all the others that are battling stuff, that there will be no breach in the walls, there'll be no robbery and there'll be no devouring in Jesus' name, but there'll be a protection around each one of those battling, whether it's cancer and whatever else, that life would flow in Jesus' name to every household, into every heart, into every body. I love the verse that says this, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead will give life to your what? Your mortal body. Your body that would otherwise die and deteriorate, the power of God brings life to it. So we declare that life over every situation that needs it in Jesus' name. I'm all over the shop this morning. Um, It's been a pretty busy couple of weeks and so therefore I'm going to be hard to follow and I'm going to be jumping everywhere. So good luck to you. And let's just just see how we go this morning. All right. Um, I want us to imagine some stuff in a minute. And uh, I remember um, when John was in primary school uh, in Canberra, the, the teachers brought in, the school brought in a whole bunch of like visualization, visualization exercises. You know, imagine the light coming into you and all this sort of stuff. And so, so you know, we weren't particularly fond of that idea uh, for obvious reasons. And um, so I went and talked to the school teacher about it and they were great and they ended up changing things and changed the curriculum and a whole bunch of things. But um, <laughs> I remember vividly the teacher <laughs> saying... We've told John that, you know, just not, not, to part, part, ugh, not to participate in that. She said, yeah, I was wondering about that. She said, he told me, teacher, I'm not allowed to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder how often for you and I we've actually forgotten how to imagine. And you know, when the Bible talks about to love the Lord, to go with your heart, soul, mind and emotion, it actually means imagination. And, you know... Our imagination, it's not even my topic, but it's just a cool thing. Um, Our imagination creates our inner world. Because what do we see tomorrow holds? What do we see our future holds? What do we see for our family, for our children? It's our imagination that creates that. And that's why sometimes depression, anxiety can creep in. Because when we imagine the future, we see a future with stuff in it that's scary or the stuff in it that is out of control. And so we're going to imagine and use our imagination a little bit this morning to actually help us understand some things. Make sense? It's a God-given... I reckon when God created the universe, he didn't go, oh, let's just try something out. It would have sat... Does God have a head? I suppose he does. It It would have sat in his mind. And out of that, he created what he imagined and what he saw. And so for you and I, mums, dads... Parents, grandparents, people, just may we actually create what we see in our mind, those things that God has promised for us. So, um, what I want to speak about this morning is this. I want to remind us, and maybe reinforce to us, just how incredibly radical the first church was. How incredibly supernatural, radical, amazing, so different. And the thing is, I think we're going to find that maybe it's not so different in the ways, I think it's more radical in ways maybe that we haven't thought of yet, that's what I'm trying to say. So, here we go. Let's let's look at this for a few minutes. Now, we we know the early church, we think it was amazing, there's miracles, there's healings, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened and that's all true. But actually, I believe there was something far more radical about that first church. Now, let, let's go down a little imagination <coughs> trip with it for a few minutes 
Now, there's a few things maybe we haven't thought of before. Number one, for the early church, there was one church for a city. Let's let that sink in for a second. You couldn't pick and choose. You couldn't find something that suited you better. You had one church for that whole city. Which means that every type of person from that city was in that church. If things didn't work out, you had nowhere else to go. I wonder how hard would those early believers have had to work at relationship, at trust, at dealing with conflict, at not carrying offence, at actually hashing things through that needed to be... We had the luxury of not having to do that. But the early church didn't have that luxury. This is your church. This is your homies. You are together in one spot. There is nowhere else to go. Pretty impressive, isn't it, what these guys actually did. So, it's pretty radical. And so, yes, we think about miracles, but actually, to me, this is pretty intense. Think for a second about the diversity and how broad the spectrums would have been. Think what that would have been like. We're fairly Anglo here this morning. Um, A few notable exceptions, but we are fairly Anglo here. But imagine what it would have been like to have that diversity, that eclectic, that different, sitting in the one place. So, (laughs) you had nowhere else to go. So, someone tells you about God, you you make a decision, I believe that sounds incredible, I need forgiveness, I need new life, I, I need a fresh start, I actually need to have a relationship with God, awesome, let's go to church, and you turn up to church, and it's a whole bunch of weirdos from every part of the city, and you're chucked together in the one place. And that's not the worst of it. In those days, you had Jews and Gentiles in the one church. So, Josh leads you to the Lord. You come along to church, and you're a Jew. And there's a percentage of people in that church who you've been told you can't even touch because they'll defile you. And all of a sudden... Because of Christ, you're now sitting next to someone who you've been told you should not be talking to, relate to, or even think of as equal. And you have to deal with that. If you're a Gentile coming into church, the people that looked down on you and treated you as less for your whole life, your persecutor and your oppressor, are now sitting in that church with you. You're starting to get an idea how incredible the early church was. And that's not the worst of it. I won't even go into the the male-female thing, but that's that's another part of it. Slavery was rampant at that time. So you come to faith, you come to church, and you're an owner of slaves. And you've got people who you've bossed around for all of your life, And all of a sudden, because of Christ, you have to learn how to treat them as equal and to interact with them as equal. Imagine coming in as a slave. There's that word, imagine. Imagine coming in as a slave. Men and women 
who have treated you all your life like a possession and who have had the power to break up your family and send you wherever they want you to go for money are sitting in that church. How incredible was the church that Jesus died to create? How incredible was the church that Jesus came for and died for to establish and set up on the earth? I wonder how much better they were at conflict resolution, dealing with stuff, love, accepting, forgiving. So, such is the power of the gospel, to bring people of every walk of life together. I wonder if maybe we've lost some of that. I wonder if maybe we could learn some things about some of the way the early church conducted themselves. Because to me, yeah, miracles, signs, wonders, awesome. But to me, like, this is bigger. This is bigger. And um, a couple of things Paul says about this, I think, really, really stuck out to me this morning and last night as I was preparing. I believe this, what I'm talking about, is utterly miraculous. But for the early church, what I'm about to read out of Ephesians 4, 3 to 6, was true. For there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. Wow. That was Jesus' vision for the church. That there is one faith, there is one hope, there is one purpose, there is something so strong that unites us, that all other social, religious barriers disappear... And we are united as one in Him. That might look hard now, but that was damn near impossible back then. Except for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform a life. And I wonder what it would look like for the world if we could start to live like that. And I, I know we're okay, but I think we could do better. I think we could do better and I think to do better we have to see a picture of what it should have been and what it could be and what it was intended to be from the beginning. I love that verse, Jesus says this, by this will all men know, all men, every person on the planet will know, by this, one thing, every person on the planet will know that you are my followers, you're my disciples. What is it? If you have love one for another so what jesus is saying is the most profound witness to the gospel of jesus christ is the love and unity of his people together so could it be that's where the battle lines are could it be that's where actually some of the greatest attacks come because why it's so powerful when we actually live and act like that may we never forget that the Spirit of God fell on the early church. Why? Because they were all together in one heart, in one place, with one mind. And we can forget that. They weren't scattered everywhere and the Spirit of God didn't fall on a group of scattered people. The Spirit of God fell on a group of people who are in one place. And I think if we want to see more of the Holy Spirit as a church, then there's a, there's a call to unity, to love, coming together that we have to grow in. Do you agree or do you think, do we, have we arrived yet or do you think maybe there's for all of us a challenge or two in there? Uh, you've got to 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and we'll, we'll probably come to some of that. And, and as you know, Steve, that's been... That's some of that's been sort of lived in the past as well. But yeah, we'll talk about some of that. And if, if at the end it's sort of not covered at all, I might just add a couple of comments in at the end and uh, get back in. No, no, you have 10 ones. So I've got not 10, just. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so we're cool. I, I don't mind that. I, interaction's good. It's just better than listening to me talk, talk the whole time. All right, um, are we missing something? Jesus had some really profound thoughts for us on diversity and on this issue. Ready for it? I love my work Monday to Friday. I'm talking to men who use violence one minute. Same day I'm talking to a nine-year-old kid and have to reach a nine-year-old kid and speak hope about what their family could look like differently. In the afternoon I could be talking to someone who's done 25 years um, for different crimes including murder and, and we're trying to actually find about how he can change to make sure things don't... Es- the diversity and the key thing for me, I'm learning more and more is that if I don't have genuine love for the people, every single person, from every walk of life, that I am meeting in my day-to-day life, I have no right to speak into their life. They will not listen to me unless they understand that I actually care about them and their households and their families. So, man, love is so important for us if we're going to make a difference in the world. Okay, Jesus' words, challenging. Matthew 5, 46 to 48. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. This next bit's pretty confronting. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you even different from anyone else? In other words, Jesus saying, that's pretty low bar. That's, that's nothing, actually. Nothing. Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let me paraphrase. Our faith, our spirituality is measured by our ability to love broadly. Not narrowly, not to the few that we feel comfortable with. It's broad, 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 broad. May we learn to grow in love for every single person. Uh, There's a saying that I think is really profound. This might help us just understand maybe why sometimes we don't. Um, We can't stand those we can't understand. I think it's really true. So in my day-to-day life, weekends or outside of church, I have to do the hard work to empathise and understand what people might be going through. Because if I can't understand why they're doing what they're doing, I can't help. And one of the pressure points um, for us is that often, you know, we've got some younger, um, often female uni grads going out in the field and talking to parents about, you know, dads who use violence and talking to them about things. And that that can be really hard for a middle-aged man. Um, Because what happens is often without some of that experience behind our belt, we can go into situations and we can sort of say... I don't know how they could do that. And if we go in with that thing, how could you do that to your kids? We get nowhere. And so maybe something I bring a little bit is that actually I can understand how you could get that desperate or that overwhelmed that you could do some of those things. And if I can engage at that level, we'll often get really good results. That's no criticism on anything else. It's just a fact that I think sometimes we have to be able to understand a little bit so we can actually... um, 
love in the way that we need to. All right. So listen to these words. That's, that's a long background. That's all like mega introduction. Are you anyone bored yet? Oh yeah, we're good. All right. So um, I'm not bored either, which is which is good. Um, so with that picture now in our minds, let's let's keep tracking with Paul, the sort of the father of the church, really. Like he was the dude that planted all the early churches everywhere. Like he was just the he was the man, uh, and he just. And when he speaks about what church should be, he's, he's the authority. Um, so, here we are. So, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Paul talking to a church in Corinth, a very spiritual church. Um, lots of miracles and lots of supernatural stuff going on. This is what he says. But in the following instructions, this is, so you get this letter from Paul, like father of the church, gives you a few, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well, then he says, now, I've got a few things that I need to raise with you and this isn't going to be pretty but if you want to grow into the purpose of God then you need to actually get a hold of some of these things. So 1 Corinthians 11, 17, you can read it up there but in the following instructions I can't praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is being done when you meet together. All right, that's pretty intense. So he's basically saying that when this church got together like this on a Sunday morning, the end result of what was produced was negative, not positive. Something pretty bad has got to be going on if you come together as a church and from the perspective of heaven, things just got worse on the earth. Yeah? Who wants that? Let's get together and destroy the world. That's not really what we're here for. But that's what he's saying. You're actually doing more harm than good. So I think we need to listen to what he's about to say. Next verse. First. Let the weight of that sink in for a minute. I hear that there are divisions among you. That's pretty intense for me that Paul is saying that the thing that actually might mean that when we get together, worse things are happening is because that we've actually somehow allowed divisions to creep in amongst us, that we're a bit divided. So, and later on, in, um, in, or earlier on in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually calls this stuff out in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 to 4. He basically says, paraphrase, you're a bunch of babies, you're a bunch of sooks, paraphrase, I'm not saying that to us, I'm just, that's what, what he's saying, I had to feed you with milk, you weren't ready for anything else and then it goes on and talks about, down to verse 3 and 4, it talks about some of these divisions, you're jealous, you fight, doesn't that prove that somehow you've lost your way? Aren't you just living like everyone else? And that's the crux, isn't it? There is jealousy and infighting and division and politics everywhere else that the intention of Jesus that would never be in his church that the church would stand out as a beacon of difference where the normal rules that the world lives by don't apply but in the church there'd be another incredible um, possibility painted for what could be all right so Paul goes on and says this some people follow Trump some don't follow Trump some are from the left, some are from the right, some follow Labour, some follow Liberal, some want to stop the boat, some want to open our borders, some... 
That's our world. And so we have divisions that we live in. Our society and there are... Who's heard of culture wars? Everyone heard the term culture wars? Yeah, culture wars have, wars have been going on forever. But particularly in the last 20 or so years in the United States, and it's here now strongly as well, there is a big divide right down the centre of a nation around whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You're to the right or you're to the left. You're a Conservative or you're a Liberal. And there's this huge divide that sits down the, the United States and it's been called the culture war since Roe versus Wade and the, the whole abortion issue. And it's continued on and it's worse now than it was 10 years ago. And the same thing is happening here. You can see it everywhere. There's a great divide on our perspective on politics, great divide on our perspective on immigration. There's a great divide on a whole bunch of things. And what I'm saying to you is if the Hearst Church could deal with that and come together as one, so ought we be able to. So let's recognise where these things sit. They may be important issues, but there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is a unity that we must find in spite of our differences to walk and to move together so does that make sense on culture wars look it up google it if you want to it'll give you a whole bunch more information any clarification on that adam no (laughs) so so that's a really simplistic sort of synopsis on the whole thing i wonder if we actually want a greater authority the answer is actually a greater love I think it ties into what I said before. If I didn't show love to those I deal with day in and day out, I don't think there'd be any fight or authority to actually bring change. And so may we grow in love one for another. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, this this is is a, a pleading, hear the tone of voice, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, live in harmony with one another. I plead with you, I beg with you, it's the essence of the church and what Jesus came and died for, that all men will come one and united under him and in him. I plead with you, live in harmony, because by this all men will know. By the love we have one for another. So, how do we grow in love? And I don't know, I think life, if we let it, life will do that for us, often. Um, I look back at teenage me and think, what a selfish twat. I, I look back at the young father me and think I wasn't much better. But what I know is that as time moved on, I grew in love. And it started with just learning with, you know, marriage and family. As time went on, it learned to get broader. And I just, let, let your love grow. Learn how to express love more broadly and to as broad a range of people as you can. And so learn to grow in love. And um, I'm not some great bastion of love now, but I know I'm more loving than I was four years ago and 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And um, I remember asking Daniela, my second daughter, once, what I was like as a parent, I asked her a few years ago, a bit of a debrief, make sure I hadn't totally screwed up my kids. And, um, <laughs> and she, um, she said, you're pretty good. You're a bit selfish, though, and a bit mean sometimes. I thought, yep, yep, that's how I'd describe myself, too. I was, I was a bit selfish, I was a bit mean. But I'm learning to not be, 
And may we learn to not be and may we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and how powerful his love is to change us and that means we start to think about others a bit differently. So, look, I think, um, I want to, how are we going? It's time to wrap it up. We spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, but we're going to finish in 1 Corinthians 13. And um, so the whole book of Corinthians is about let's learn to be together, united, love one another. And then um, Paul wraps it up with, the, you know that verse you always hear at weddings? So that's, that's the context for it. It's about these divisions. It's about living in harmony. It's about coming together in a way that the world can see who Jesus is. And um, so what I'd like us to do is this. I think we need sometimes a measure. How do we actually measure how we're travelling in our capacity to love? Yeah, I'm loving, I'm not. How, how do you measure that? How do you, how do you, how do you, well, he, here's how you measure. So what I'd like us to do, whether you close your eyes in a minute or just listen to my dulcet tones and my, absorb my impressive frame, that we, we actually, we actually just take a, a second or two to let God, let the Holy Spirit just talk to us about each of these measures. And wouldn't it be cool if as we talk about this, there's one or two that God says, hey, I think there's some growth that can happen here. Because seriously, how good would it be if we could grow in love? And so let's, let's take the mystery out of it and let's use the measures that are listed here. And I'll just give you the background. First, just talked about if I can prophesy and speak in the tongues. And I'm, I, don't, I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong, I'm empty, just noise. And then, and then he gives us the measures. So maybe just, if you want to, close your eyes. If you don't, that's fine. But um, let's, let's put this measure across our lives. Let God speak. So love is patient. How are we doing on that? How's our patience? Love is kind. Are we practicing kindness? Are we finding ways just to make someone's life a little easier, a little better? Love isn't jealous. Now let's not be looking at what others have got or we don't have. Let's not be jealous. Let's not be boastful. Let's not put Steve in his place. Nine one. <laughs> okay, I get it, God. I'm, I won't be boastful. But you know, let's not be boastful. Let's not be proud. What is pride? It's just self-sufficiency. I don't need anyone else. I've got this. The Bible says it's quite the opposite. We all need each other. It's not rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. This is a challenging one. It's not irritable. Just get cranky a little bit easier. That's me. That was me growing up. I just got cranky too easy. May we not be like that. May love increase. So we're not just getting a little bit cranky. Probably too small a reason. Love keeps no records of offences. Oh, in Jesus' name, for any of us, if there's things that we're holding on to, wrongs that have been done to us, Father, we forgive now in Jesus' name. We release those things, we don't want to hold them anymore. We give them to you. Free us from record-keeping, store-keeping in Jesus' name.
does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. And the last few, and these last few, just maybe keeping your eyes closed if you are, these come back to imagination. Love never gives up. If there's anyone here who feels a little bit like giving up, that's because maybe your love tank's needs to be a little fuller. So in Jesus' name, for those that are feeling like maybe it's just a bit too much and they want to give up, Father, I pray right now for a filling with your love. In Jesus' name. Because your promise is that love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Man, may we always, we should be the most optimistic people. In Jesus' name, as we look to the future, may we just see the possibilities, Father, that you have for your sons and daughters. May we just see life. May we see fruitfulness, Father. May we actually look towards the future with faith in Jesus' name. Love is always hopeful. And um, one of the challenges for my work colleagues and my work is um, holding on to hope because we see so much. We see so much stuff that's so broken and damaged. And they often talk about it. How do we hold hope in this situation? But we have an answer. Because love is the source of hope and the love of God is a source of hope. Love endures through every circumstance. So, there's some measures. So in Jesus' name, Father, we just where we're sitting today or standing, Father, we just allow you to speak and to lead, to challenge and to guide, Father, in those areas where we need to grow in our capacity to love in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, for a restoration of your church, Father, to more and more of its original purpose, its original intent. May there be harmony, may there be, and that doesn't mean homogeny, it doesn't mean we all think the same. It means we are free to think differently and be different and, and be slightly unhinged and on the edge. It doesn't make any difference. Um, we, we, we need to be in harmony together and find ways to love and to walk together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Josh. Cool. Thanks, Mark. That was good, hey? Heard plenty of food for thought. Cool. We're going to get the band up. We're going to stand. We're going to praise God and um, hopefully let that sink in a bit more. Thanks, guys. <laughs>